This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Coming January 18, 2019, Misery Never Forgets, the new album from the leaders of the next generation of metalcore, Wrist Meat Razor. Revolver Magazine proclaims, Wrist Meat Razor reimagined the technicality and urgency of the hardcore and screamo of the early aughts. And Colt Nation hails, Wrist Meat Razor is poised to make their mark, a crimson slice of emotional violence. Wrist Meat Razor, Misery Never Forgets, available in all formats, January 18, 2019. Pre-order at store.prostheticrecords.com. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich, and joining me this week... Jocelyn Sharp, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. <laughs> and I'm a big dumb idiot who smells bad and nobody ever wants to fuck Brandon Hahn. That's wrong. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. That is factually wrong. My wife is still wet from last night. Thank you very much. Because I rock the body yuck, that rock the yuck, body. Yuck, yuck. And you guys can follow me at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend official on Instagram. Excited this week, guys. I got to talk to Alan Robert from Life of Agony, also a comic book artist for you guys that don't know and we are talking about the beauty of horror ghosts of christmas adult coloring book it's the fourth in the series if you guys haven't experienced these they're absolutely fantastic as is all his comic books so we're going to get to that interview in a little bit guys and we're going to talk all comics we're going to talk life we're going to talk at all dude we're going to go the gamut with him but before that we are going to talk about as we always like to do the metal sucks news guys first story we want to talk about is sad at the beginning but Awesome. At the end, Gary Holtz from Slayer, his father, unfortunately, is passing away. And Slayer, in the middle of their final tour, Gary's going to go home. And then they text ex-Machine Head guitarist at this point, Phil Demel, to come fill in for him. So the happy part of the story is, can you imagine being Phil Demel? You just got off the stage with Machine Head, which happened to him 24 hours less. And he gets a text message to go tour Europe with Slayer on their final tour. Now, he had to learn all the songs. But I, I don't mean, think it was that hard I, for him. I, I mean, I'm you don't think he sure. played a lot of those songs? Yes, yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> like, yeah, that was like, oh, gee, I'm gonna have to go back to when I was 16 again. Damn yeah. it! You know? I only played this song 150 times for mm. that girl I had a crush on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a text message of like your favorite director if you're an actor, being like, hey, man, can you just come and do this for me real quick? And you're like, what? It's, you know, it's, it's one it's of like those, a dream come true. It's one of those out of nowhere things that I think that you would end up like not having the incredible urge to like walk in front of a bus afterwards because you would be like. How can your life top that? That that kind of dream coming true is such a like never happens fluke insane kind of thing. Wow! So, so you I would really, kill yourself. Yeah, I love how Jocelyn basically <laughs> said, "Guys, okay, go forth, achieve your dreams, and then die." Yeah, I mean, isn't that all of our plans? <laughs> oh shit! We got to talk wow. to Jocelyn off the <laughs> Holy off shit. the show. That's yeah. not our plan. Exactly. Is that your plan, homie? Jocelyn's gonna Kurt Cobain herself, take her right off this podcast. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. But Jesus then again, Christ. though, if you die now, you'll be young, and then everyone's. Gonna 
going to go, oh, then next thing you know, 20 years from now, he's going to be wearing a I'll never, Metal Sucks podcast t-shirt. I'll never end up on TMZ with like a Jocelyn Sharp's nipples point down now <laughs> post or something. So I can save myself some heartache. I don't like any of this you guys are talking about. <laughs> okay, Although all right, it's, all right. It's black oh. humor. It's dark. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. we weren't talking about puppies and ice cream. Sorry, Pete, take <laughs> my it away. Point, no, my we point can, is we is can talk about it, but we, what would make you, I guess, jump in front of a, a train if you got a text message? Did you see train or bus? Did I take bus. it to the train? A bus. Bad, you took it to bad. the train. Yeah, yeah, you made it messier than yeah. it needed yeah, to be. We don't, we don't have a train out here. Pete. My whole point of that exaggerated story was that that's an insane like dream come true. Like That's one of those dreams comes true that you're like, oh, it's just a silly dream. What I know? think is cool is he spent you know his career in Machine Head, and then all of a sudden, to end that career now all of a sudden you're going back to the band that got you started in music yeah it's yeah. kind of cool it's like it's almost like a full circle right. type of thing that's that's it's like too destiny for mm-hmm. it to have happened the way it is it oh. almost it, it's one of those things where it like makes me believe there's some kind of grander scheme at work because i'm like for him to like go from one thing to the next like that is he's one of three people to be on that stage with carrie king and tom Morea playing guitar Right. That's it. He's one of three people. Yeah. You know, Hanneman, obviously Holt and him. You don't and even have to scroll on that Wikipedia list. Dude, that is that, that for him to just be like, Hey, here's a text message. You want to be the third person to play Slayer songs ever on a stage with us? That's uh yeah. Let me check my schedule. That's lottery <laughs> win. Dude. Wide open. I can't. I have a pedicure <laughs> <laughs> and the timing of like, Hey, just left machine yeah. head. The tour just ended, you know, with him leaving and then, Hey, I'm open. That's usually how a lot of as things go. As fast as like, I need a job he got like uh, the dream job yeah that's that's just awesome that means good karma is in his life that's all i know that means phil demo is a great dude and uh we're very happy for him here on the show to segue dave mustaine he because of slayer's final tour going on he did state that he wanted a final big four show in the bay area or los angeles what do you guys think i mean the big four thing is um you gotta sell that to metallica that's that's it you gotta they're, sell they're, the, they're they, the only ones that are waiting around they're the only it's like because look you can get slayer anthrax and megadeth you you know, you could probably put that oh, easy. In, a, in a theater or an arena for sure. But mm. I mean, in order to, for it to really pop, you got to have, you, no, gotta you, have need, you got, you need daddy. You, you need the big one of the big four. Yeah. yeah. To, to, you need daddy. So they're the only person to sell. But do you think that uh, since it is Slayer's final tour, that it's probably not a bad idea to maybe no. revisit that again? Why not go back to again? This is it all goes back to what I'm saying. It's all about it's all about coming full circle. You know, you, you say Slayer says goodbye, but they say goodbye with the guys that they rose the power with. I think that this is one of the things you get to do on your last trip around. I think you get to do all of your favorite things that you did in your career and you get to pay tribute to those favorite times in your life. Mm-hmm. But let's let's say this, say five years, Slayer's retired. They're gone. It's 2024 or whatever. And Metallica's like, hey, we're gonna do a big four show Slayer. Will you guys reunite? Fuck yeah, they're So this yeah. time frame is actually a lot wider than and, we think. Yeah. And again, I don't think. I don't think this is the last time we'll ever see Slayer. Maybe not touring, but they'll go back on stage again. They will. It's easy money. Well, I mean, you know, we talked about that. Who knows? Maybe maybe they're set. You know, there's I, a point where I, yeah, you got to step in front of a train. Apparently, yeah, they're yeah. they're or not, bus. They're, I keep saying train. And I just want to point out, Slayer's not even quite there. There's a, that's a far far leap. Okay, yeah. I just want to say I don't want anyone to step in front of a train because you're making it sound like I said that. But um, Metall- <laughs> but, but you're basically saying Metallica should you know. Step and well, in front of course of a train. I'm saying that. I mean, like <laughs> jump Lars. Speaking of Metallica, this is a bigger issue that I want that I need to bring up is that I listened to the episodes while I was gone, and Saint Anger wasn't a terrible album. Mm, yes, it was. 
I've heard, no, it was terrible compared to Metallica standards, but I've heard plenty of other way, way, way shittier music than Saint Anger. All right, I I agree. That's a valid point. You did say it wasn't a terrible album. And here's you a, didn't make that point. Oh, we're comparing Metallica to like Limp Bizkit's uh, <laughs> fucking results may vary. Okay, dude. I, I mean, I, we can do that, but I mean, we should hold Metallica to a little higher standard than Hollywood Undead. What do you think? Moving on, guys, to the next story. So one one story that I was absolutely had a click on the second I saw the headline, and this was a a uh, well calculated post i feel this is the song which maynard james keenan is most proud of now not maynard jane goodall (laughs) maynard james keenan now i knew before i clicked on this post it wasn't gonna be any song that was popular Right, right. Okay. Okay. So you guys, because it, it's Maynard. It's well. Also, I think every artist that does side projects, they have a personal connection to the things that didn't reach the masses. Because people, I feel, I don't want to say hate their fans, but people, the, the the people don't like the masses. They resent their fans. They resent the mass opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So you would think that someone like Maynard's like, look, dude, people that get me would get this. So obviously the song he chose, not obviously, obviously to me, um, was Pussifer's Grand Canyon. Brandon hates Pussifer. I also hate Pussifer. Um, Joslyn hates Pussifer. I haven't spent enough time down the Pussifer rabbit hole. Um, I got V for vagina back in the day and I gave up cause I did not enjoy that. Okay. Now Grand Canyon is down the road. You know, so I don't know if his other albums are good. However, it makes total sense, though, doesn't it? That you're going to like something that you're more creatively controlled on. And, and it's a song stuff? that he's more creatively controlled on. And on top of that, it's a song that he hasn't played a billion times. It's a song that he hasn't burnt out on. So he has this yeah. perfect memory of this song in him being able to get that song out exactly the way he wanted it to sound. You know, and the thing is, is look, when any of us do something like that, if any of us make something creative that oh, that we feel like it's specifically for us. The re- no one else else like it, likes it. Yeah, How many times- that, I mean that's the thing with when you when you are creative and you create something for other people to consume, and that's part of your art. There's something that happens there where you learn that the full throttle of your creativity is too much for the average person. You don't let them entirely in. You don't open that door wide open. You give them a crack. You give them a peek. You learn how to filter 100 of your creativity through a filter for everyone else. And I think that the more you lean into what resonates with you creatively, the more you're going to alienate everyone around you because it's way too personal. The problem is though, is I think the filter that Maynard was using for this particular song was, it was a filter made of uh, ass hairs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't uh-huh. good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's be, let me just say this out loud. Have you heard this song? I made him listen to it guys. Cause you know, um, Jocelyn and Brandon will talk shit without hearing. So Brandon, you heard the song, <laughs> the greatest song uh, the, or the, not the greatest song, the song he's most proud of. And what are your thoughts on your, before you, you talk shit without hearing it, what are your thoughts on it after hearing it? Uh, the thoughts that I have of, of uh, after hearing it is I should have been a psychic. I'm so goddamn good at nailing these types of things. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not a bad song. It's not. But but what it is, though, dude, is it sounds like it's at the beginning of like a vampire movie or something like that. <laughs> like, like, I feel like a I'm, slow motion nightclub yeah, scene. I'm like, I'm like, when am I going to see, you know, that Keeper or, Sutherland in a mullet? You know yeah, what I mean? That it's or like, one of those scenes where it's like the mirage on the desert and a Jeep drives through yes, it. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's exactly what it is. I you know? feel that it's very at 
atmospheric, if we may. It's an atmospheric song. Vocally, right. he does uh, carry the song. Yeah, and, and it's it is, not, again, it's not a bad song. It's not a bad song. It's something. But obviously, Pussifer is not is, on the same level as his other projects. It's one of those songs that you listen to and you keep it on in the background and you don't know that it's on in the background. You know, <laughs> I call that the dishwashing song. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. It, what you do is you put that you you put your kid's uh, you know car seat on top of it, and the kid it pretty much rocks the kid to sleep. I mean, it's like that's basically like the kind of like repetitive sound. That's what it was. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I will amend my shit talking to say I can't sing nor play music nor do anything as good as Maynard can do. I will say that publicly out loud. But I don't think that that was a song. I think, <laughs> I think, I that, think that, that was a man doing an impression of a sitar. I think if I think Hollywood Undead, what, what that was. I think if Hollywood Undead did that song, it would be their best song ever. But for Maynard, it was kind of a... In Gucci's weird rock logic, it's a great Pussifer song. It's a good, it's a great Pussifer <laughs> song because I don't like Pussifer. <laughs> so when I listen to a Pussifer song and I say to myself, hmm, I'm happy I have ears. Then yeah. I'm like, okay. Usually I listen to a Pussifer song and I'm like, Maynard, what the right, fuck? Right, you have to restrain yourself from putting a number two pencil through your brain. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? More, more, more gruesome death. No, Jocelyn, Jocelyn, Jocelyn you're on a that. death kick today. Well, she I'm hasn't sorry. been on, she hasn't been doing Buses. podcasts, and she's angry, and she's got I a lot of venom guys, in her heart. You guys heart. just forgot how dark I am. I think, I think we forgot how dark she <laughs> is. is. Yeah, because yeah. usually it's me doing the darkness, and you guys are looking at me, going, "No, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Come on!" And then, yeah. but whenever you take the darkness pole and run with it, I'm like, "Yes." Yeah, normally I'm a little bit more dirty than I am dark, but I didn't shower today, and I've been on the road since five a.m. Right, so exactly. I'm feeling a lot less sexy. Okay, next story. All right, guys. So last week me and brandon without jocelyn so we filled you in on that okay there's a band called witch rot and they broke up and they put out one of the best breakup statements ever that statement i'm going to reread real fast for you guys this is the breakup statement due to the unfortunate reality of our guitarist fucking my girlfriend of almost seven years witch rot will be taken an extended hiatus i however will continue the band in another space and time being ripe with hate the music is slowly flowing and without a doubt will become the most devastating torturous music i have ever created thanks for the support stay heavy peter also our drummer died dot 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 well that breakup message blew this band up and they got a lot of people interested in the band so the band is not breaking up because of that uh, wonderful press they got for that heartbreaking message do you think that's a, a cool move to do a fake breakup and then ride the success even though it was because <laughs> it was funny i don't think it was fake i think probably it was just like legit at the time yeah it was legit at the time and then then they were like oh shit we actually might like this they were probably like on that like we're gonna try this for six more months guys and if it doesn't do anything then we're gonna quit and then he does this and all of a sudden they're more popular than they've ever been and he's like well maybe we shouldn't leave right away yeah. <laughs> maybe. and he only had 300 facebook likes at the time so he probably didn't think it would get out there because there's not a a lot of people following him on that social media platform but right after the story cleared he got like 10,000 like right around that number it's it's like somebody it's like somebody you being at a party that's really boring and you're like I want to leave and then somebody shows up with a bunch of coke and strippers and you're like I'm probably not going to leave yet. Yeah. You know? Jocelyn's been on the road. Right. <laughs> she loves strippers. <laughs> <laughs> they will not come to Holiday Inn Expresses mm. anymore, though. No. Nope. No. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of a happy ending, even though he got, like, his heart ripped out. And, oh, by the way, the drummer, when he, when he did the, and the drummer died, dot, 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 me and Brandon talked about it last week. The drummer didn't die. The drummer just told him, hey, tell everybody I died, and he figured it wouldn't matter because oh, there's only it. 300 people. <laughs> You're Maddie's, Maddie's alive. I, I thought he was going to be doing I, some I, Jesus I, resurrection shit, you know? <laughs> 
I love the thought of like, I'm just like cycling through all the jokes between me and my family that I've made on Facebook. And I'm like, I hope those never get out. Like, (laughs) well, not bad. I'm just saying like saying terrible things to my family members, like talking shit. Like that's all he was doing. He was talking shit between his friends being like, oh yeah. And he died like as a joke. Right. If you're an artist and you don't think anybody cares or anybody really like looks at your social media pages and stuff like that, you probably have a mentality of being like, it doesn't matter. Let me just announce it for whatever. Right. You know, and the fact now that he's got a, a following behind it (laughs) and people listening to his record uh, because of the funny uh, breakup post. I think that's kind of cool, man. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's a positive social media thing. Oh, who wouldn't? Who, oh, and everyone who, felt sorry for a guy, and they're like, well, he probably has some pretty vicious metal. Yeah, but if everybody, if you know, all of a sudden got a huge following and you didn't try and write it, anyone who said they wouldn't is a liar. No, look, I get it, but my deal is, though, this guy, let's, let's call it what it is. The guy is capitalizing off sympathy. You know, and then not on purpose, though. Not on purpose, but hey, but part of he the had reason, no idea this would happen. Okay, but I know. I'm, sh- I'm sure he didn't have any idea that he was happening. But at the same time, though, oh, let me put the drummer. So everyone's like, all right, this guy's girlfriend cheated on him, and then his drummer died. Man, it's like, well, I wonder how. I want to know how the post would have been, or how how effective it would have been. Where it's like, ah, the guitar player fucked my girlfriend, and no dead yeah, drummer. Yeah, but but uh, a piece of shit tries to make fame and capitalization off of sympathy, but a fool doesn't capitalize on the sympathy he receives. And the post was headlined as the funniest band breakup post, so it wasn't a sympathy post. It was almost like, a, dude, this was funny, the way you put it out there. No, no, no. We are laughing at him. We're not laughing with him. No, he was I, putting no, no. it out there. I don't disagree with that at all. No, he, he, but I don't think he was putting it out there to be laughed at. Like, that's what I'm saying. You got to think about intentions. Well, now we're I laughing he, at him. I think he was doing it in the way that but you're like. he gained like, from our laughter. I think he was doing it in the way where you were like, I quit my job today. Fuck that place. You yeah. know, like where it's like a, just a afterthought Facebook post. Like to him, it wasn't an announcement. It was just him being like, all right, this happened today. So with that, guys, Amana Marth just released their new documentary and supporting live albums, The Pursuit of Vikings, 25 Years in the Eye of the Storm via Metal Blade Records. In addition to the retrospective documentary, the live video and audio component contains two different sets at 2017 Summer Breeze Festival in Germany, capturing the unit at their very best. Purchase your copy now at metalblade.com slash Amon Amarth. Make sure you guys do that. Christmas is around the corner for all you holiday shoppers, and that's a perfect gift. Trust me. And with that, guys, here is my interview with Alan Robert from Life of Agony. Everybody, what is going on? It is Petter with the Metal Sucks podcast on the phone. I got Alan Robert from Life of Agony, but we are here to talk about The Beauty of Horror, Ghosts of Christmas Coloring Book, which is out now. It is the fourth edition to the series of adult coloring books. Now, tell me about the initial idea of a gory, horror-filled Christmas adult coloring book. Well, it's funny because I was, I've been doing um, drawing and writing graphic novels for IDW Publishing uh, for about 10 years now. And, um, and this, this idea kind of happened as a fluke. It was around um, April Fool's Day, I think 2016, and I came home from rehearsal one day, and my wife and my daughter were coloring in one of these adult coloring books, and um, I was like, what's this all about? It was like really high-end, nice paper, beautiful drawings, and way different from the coloring books I grew up on, you know, like Scooby-Doo on like newsprint paper, and it it was really a phenomenon. I mean, these things were everywhere. You could find them in the supermarket, Barnes and Nobles, everywhere. But there was no horror ones. And for a horror fan like me, I had nothing to color. So my wife said, why don't you draw your own? So I, I actually drew up 
the most disgusting thing that I could think of at the moment, which was the bathroom of CBGBs. I don't know if you remember that, but it was pretty. That was probably scarier than the room from Saw. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I drew that up and I put it on Facebook as a joke for April Fool's Day, as my version of an, an adult coloring book. And overnight, it got downloaded 400 times, and people started coloring it. And uh, it was just so much fun, like, to uh, interact with fans and see everyone's different take on how they would color CBGB's bathroom. And it was that day that I was like, you know, this this is a lot of fun. If I was going to do a whole book about horror, what would it look like? And that's where I came up with The Beauty of Horror. I pitched it to IDW on April Fool's Day, and they gave me the fastest green light out of all my projects that I actually I went back to them and said, is this an April Fool's joke? Because usually it takes about two weeks for you to even get back to me. And they, uh, you know, they got back to me in, in just like 20 minutes. And uh, they were like, no, we love this idea. So once it came out that September, uh, it shot to number one on Amazon. It kind of opened the doors for me to continue the series. It uh, Volumes one through three. Part three just came out earlier this year and then um ghost of christmas just came out yeah it's out now it came out i believe on halloween or around that time correct yep yep yeah and now for just for people that might not understand the images that haven't picked up one of these coloring books which guys you've got to get your hands on them they're a blast but one, my favorite image of the new one to just give people a taste is that there's a uh, all the gingerbread men and they're stuffing <laughs> Santa into the oven. Are there any ideas ever that you're like, all right, that's too dark or too disgusting because it's got Christmas characters to it? Well, the whole idea was to just completely dismantle Christmas, and no one really stopped me. Every time I would send a new page to the publisher, they were like, great. So I never got anyone to uh, censor me, so I just, you know, there's pages full of decapitated reindeer and Santa with chainsaws, and in fact... Um, I hooked up with a, an animator named Trent Shy, and he put together this insane, bloody claymation based on Beauty of Horror, Ghost of Christmas. And that's online now. You can check that out. And that is completely insane and super gory. And it literally took the characters from all our favorite animations growing up, like, um, you know, Rudolph and Frosty and, and even the Santa gets his in this little clip man yeah guys definitely check that out because i haven't seen that myself you said it was a claymation version right yeah it's uh it took him about three months and he sculpted all the characters and every little movement you see is all done in camera so it was uh definitely a passion project for him and it was such a fun thing to to see come to life and now let's talk about his history of you as a comic book creator you got a scholarship to the school of visual arts in new york city and studied uh cartooning under Thor comic writer and artist Walt, is it Simonson? Yep. Mm -hmm. Walt Simonson. How much influence and impression did he leave on you? Well, he was my first uh, introduction to actually learning how to plot out a comic book page. You know, up until that point, you know, you see these great, fantastic covers where really, you know, the possibilities are limitless of what you could do. But when you're trying to tell stories through visual images, it becomes a whole different thing. And, you know, interpreting someone's script into boxes on a page and how the reader is going to interpret those visual images, it's a whole different ballgame. And it was actually really hard to really do it right. 
and I'm still learning to this day, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Every every book that I do, I definitely pick up new uh, tricks and, and better ways to, you know, say what you want to say in the little space that you have. And even before Life of Agony started, that's all I wanted to do is become a comic book artist. And that's, uh, I actually met Joey from Life of Agony in art school. We went to the High School of Art and Design for a semester in the city. And um, we both transferred schools to the to the Brooklyn school, Brooklyn High School, and that's where we were like, "Aren't you that kid from from art and design?" And and that's when we started talking about music. But I was already on the path to become a comic book artist. It just would just happen to happen at the same time when I graduated School of Visual Arts in '93 that uh, River Runs Red was about to come out that October. I had to make a choice whether to pursue the comic book stuff take my portfolio around to the comic book companies or to jump in the van and see what would happen with, with uh, Life of Agony. That's actually a great choice for a young person, in my mind. I think that's awesome. You're like, either in a rock band or do I get to be a comic book artist? So, Well, I probably, in all fairness, I probably would have been getting coffee for the comic book artist. Oh, yeah, that's at true. That, yeah. At that stage. And I really didn't feel that confident in my own artistic abilities to to take on a book at that age and uh, i think along the way i developed that confidence once i got uh, more comfortable on computers you know back in the early 90s they had just introduced photoshop and things like that but by the time that i tackled my first book which was called wire hangers for idw i was well versed with with computer art and so i felt like i could bring a lot of textures and and lighting effects into my artwork, which really helped give it depth and gave me some confidence to draw a, a less traditional comic book. You know, something more in the lines of 30 Days of Night. I don't know if you're familiar with yes. that one, but but that, that one was really what inspired me to be able to do it myself. Because um, when I did Wire Hangers, I wrote it and drew it. And a lot of these comic books are developed by teams of people. There's a penciler, inker, colorist, letterer, editor. And um, with Wire Hangers, I did it myself. And uh, I was actually going to self-publish it before I hooked up with IDW. But I happened to just had joined Twitter. I think it was like 2009. I just joined Twitter. I started following a bunch of comic book artists that I liked. There was a, a comic book writer that I started to follow. And he was a big music fan, and we hit it off right away. And it it actually turned out that he was the editor in chief of IDW, also, in addition to being a writer. And I had no idea. And he was like, "Well, you want us to publish Wire Hangers?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" They had put out Thirty Days a Night, so it seemed like a great fit. And I've been with them ever since. I put out several series since Wire Hangers. There was Crawl to Me, yes. which is like a, a psychological thriller with a really big twist ending. And then there was Killogy, where I actually got permission and worked with uh, celebrities in, uh, in film and television and music to basically cast a comic book where I put Frank Vincent from Goodfellas and Sopranos. Uh, he played Billy Bats in Goodfellas. Marky Ramone from the Ramones, Brea Grant from Heroes, and even Doyle from the Misfits and put them in this crazy story set in the zombie apocalypse. And it's kind of like a dark comedy. And, and that was so much fun to work with some of my heroes and bring them to life in, in comic book form. And um, we ended up 
making about, I think it's about a six minute fully 3D animated proof of concept of what a what a cartoon would look like. And that's online too. But if you go to KilogyAnimated.com, you could see that clip. And that uses their own voices and I wrote the music for it. And it's a lot of fun. When we were talking about wire hangers, that you said was just a project that was you taking your education and figuring things out. Crawled Me, the next book you did, was about a year after as far as publishing goes. But there seemed yeah. to be a big growth between that time just for you. Oh, yeah. I learned so much by doing wire hangers. But, you know, it was like a lot of it. Wire hangers was an idea I had come up with back when I was in Walter Simonson's class in college. And it took all those years later, almost two decades later, to really put the time in and, and figure out how to do it for a four-part miniseries. Uh, it was later collected into a graphic novel. That whole process of of uh, kind of learning on the fly and also the biggest part about it was hitting the deadlines as being one person to do the penciling the inking the coloring all that stuff uh to hit monthly deadlines was something i didn't consider <laughs> when i when i even was looking for a deal for it and um that's something that you learn right away that wow you need to have the cover art and the synopsis three months before it even comes out so they can market it I didn't think about that because I had never done it before. And so it was a learning experience for sure. And I'm very proud that I've never missed a deadline. And it's always been top of mind. Um, I never wanted to be that guy to hold it up. And um, and it happens a lot in the comic book world because you're dealing with so many different um, moving parts and, and different people on teams. And everyone's got multiple projects that they're trying to finish. And uh, sometimes things get slow down along the way and you're waiting on someone to finish a page and get it to print so that's something i pride myself in getting the stuff done on time and done to a certain standard you know i do like what you said about the writing process because in in the comic book land you do have to have your synopsis and your cover you said complete in order to you know promote it ahead of time now but does that mean the script has to be completely done because doesn't things change as you Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think part of doing it the way I do it anyway, and that's kind of the, the pleasure of drawing my own stories is that I can change stuff on the fly based on, you know, just how something maybe reacts even in public to the readers. Uh, maybe um, maybe the story takes a turn based on people's reactions or even reading it after the fact. And so when you're working with teams, I think that the script is a lot more rigid because once that script is done, it's a lot harder to change it once it changes hands through pencilers and inkers and colorists and, and even letterers. I was changing stuff on the fly all the time as I was drawing the books. I basically would write the story in outline form and I wouldn't even have a script. I knew that I, I had a point A and a point B on every issue and I knew where the story had to go And I usually create from a visual standpoint and then fill in the dialogue after the fact. It's interesting, you know, it's like you learn tricks along the way on how to set the pace Mm. of the story through art Mm -hmm. and and controlling how fast a reader soaks in the information is part of the magic of it. And 
depending on how many panels you use and in in what kind of colors and and um which which box on a page has the most impact first initial impact to a reader all that you have to take that into account on how fast or slow you want them to consume it and it's interesting too because now that comics are uh, being consumed different ways you know it's not just traditional print anymore it's it's digital and um you can view it frame by frame if you want it kind of changes it for a creator because if you think about the old traditional way when you turn a page you're soaking in two pages of art in one shot as a spread but when you read a comic book online and you're just seeing one frame at a time you may be able to hide a big reveal that way as as opposed to a comic book where you turn the page and you're seeing what's happening even before you read it yeah dude no no that's actually i haven't seen i haven't gone to the digital format like the kindle read yet i haven't done it but um mm. I, I yeah it's pretty cool i imagine actually. yeah i would actually i actually probably should do that going forward i just know the guys okay. at the comic book store so it's like part of the whole tradition yeah. <laughs> for me you know oh, to be yeah, like, that's up, part dude? of yeah that's <laughs> That's great, you know. And uh, and I remember, you know, even when I was a little kid, in, growing up in Brooklyn, and all I wanted to do was draw my own comics. I remember there was one summer where I drew a comic. It was a really gory uh, revenge story called The Butcher, and I photocopied it at the local uh, print shop, and I stapled it together, and I made about seventy-five copies. And the local comic book store allowed me to sell it on the rack. And I sold a bunch of them that summer. It was really fun. And I think that's where I got my, uh, you know, I got obsessed with, with wanting to do it for real, you know. Definitely. That, that's awesome, man. You got to do, do what you can within your means. The DIY mentality is so important, I think, to any and every artist and no matter what yeah. genre they're in. So to go to the next one we were talking about, Crawl to Me, like you said, there's a twist ending. We're not going to give anything away here. But that one was in development for a film. Can you give yeah, us an, it still is. It actually, still is. Yeah. Okay. Can you give us an update on that? Because it's been, I don't know when it started, but I remember reading about it. It felt like, like four or five years ago, right? Yeah, well, um, the writers from a movie called Intruders, um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but... Is that with um, Clive Owen? There is another one, I think. I think there's multiple Intruders. Okay. It, was no ri- it was originally called uh, Shut In, but they changed the name to Intruders. Mm-hmm. I think it came out two years ago, and... Uh, me and my producing partners had talked to a bunch of different screenwriters to adapt it and adapt Crawl to Me into a feature film. And their take on it blew us away. And we brought them on board and they, they wrote a script. And over the last couple of years, we've had multiple directors attached to it, multiple producers attached to it. They actually changed the script in the last year based on a new producer we brought on board who I can't. Uh, say his name yet mm-hmm. but we'll be having a bunch of announcements soon and the the script's never been better and and it's uh it's really layered and uh a great psychological thriller and i i think they did a fantastic job in fact when i was on tour with life agony on this rise of the underground tour uh they're based in chicago so i was able to meet them for the first time after working with them all these years uh on getting the script to this point and it was great to finally meet them and and just talk about the film and and uh where it's going and it's an exciting time it feels like it's finally getting on the way 
great news. But everybody out there, before this film comes out, because you got to read this novel, so make sure you do pick up Crawl to Me and, and read it. I know it's been a few years, but I, it's always important to have that story in people's mind before they see that that film version. Now, as you were mentioning on the Rise of the Underground tour with Life Agony, not to segue because we'll come back. I got a couple of questions about uh, Killology and the Shunned one, but um, I'm in Las Vegas, so you guys were coming oh, out here to Las yeah. Vegas, and uh, yeah. the show got canceled because a teacher, I believe, did like a some sort of post. So I missed you guys, but what, yeah. what was your guys' thoughts on that whole thing? Like, just for people that don't, don't know, they were coming out to the beauty bar out here in Las Vegas, and somebody posted or said something about shooting up people at the concert i believe is that what it was i don't know all the details but mm-hmm. all i know is that uh, i think it started with a text message mm-hmm. yeah, i don't think it was a, a public a post, post but so, yeah. whoever that lady who made the threat made a text to uh, a friend of hers and then that person brought it to authorities and then she was arrested and so once uh, law enforcement contacted us. The only responsible thing to do was to cancel the show. And at some point, we'll be back there. Yeah, that was a crazy, crazy day when we got that news. There's cancellations for shows on occasion, but that was probably the weirdest one where I'm like, I get it. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> and, the thing, and, and our fan safety is first. That oh, always yeah. comes first, and we didn't want to take a chance. So, of course, we were going to cancel that night. But we'll be back, and we'll make up that date eventually. That's something that I, I want to hear because, yeah, it, w- it was going to be exciting to see you guys because this new album, I just I just love it so much. So I want to hear these songs live. So, But let's get back to the, you as uh, the comic book stuff. So Killology, we just mentioned, and you brought up that you had the actors um, that you had in mind. Did you have them in mind when you were writing the story originally? and have discussions prior to writing the book Killology? Well, it was funny because when I first pitched it to IDW, it was intended to be a three-part miniseries, kind of like a Twilight Zone, where each of the character stories affected the other one. But they could have been standalone stories. And just like the Twilight Zone uh, TV series, they had these guest stars by famous celebrities and that that kind of um, inspired me to want to cast a comic book. And I don't think it's been done like that before. So that was new. And actually pitching it to the celebrities themselves was kind of hard because it hadn't been done before. As soon as, as, soon as we got Frank Vincent on board, it kind of opened the doors for everybody else. Because all of a sudden it was something legitimate, you know, and with a real star. And, and working with him... Um, Rest in peace. He he was so nice to me. So such a great guy. Um, he was actually a musician also outside of being an actor. He started out as a, as a drummer, and had Joe Pesci in his band, and the two of them would play up and down the Jersey Shore, um, and then eventually um, became kind of like a like a Martin and Lewis kind of stand up routine. Wow. Joe? Yeah, if you look, Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent had a band, and Frank Vincent was a drummer, and and Joe Pesci was a guitar player, and it started out with them breaking their, breaking balls on stage in between songs that developed into a comedy routine, and it's from that comedy routine that you know Pesci got cast in Raging Bull, and he said, "Hey, Scorsese, can we get?" my old buddy Frank Vincent and we have this great chemistry and that's that was Frank Vincent's first great big role was Raging Bull 
Yeah, dude. Now I remember the scene with them in the uh, in Raging Bull, guys. He's the uh, he's the guy that Salvi. Yeah, okay. he's Salvi. He's he was pushing uh, Pesci's character to get Jake LaMotta to like kind of fight, kind of take a fall for the mob in a way. And uh, he was just a, a perfect character, but also like visually, he is a he he is a comic book like character visually. Like he has all these oh, features absolutely. that are so strong and. And yeah, Frank Vincent's a, a great character actor. And like you mentioned some of his highlights, but if you guys go down the rabbit hole, I mean, he's worked with everybody, like Spike Lee. He was in Jungle Fever. Yeah, I mean, the guy was oh, in yeah. a ton of stuff. So, And the fact and that he was Phil Leotardo on Sopranos. Yeah. yeah. He was like Tony Soprano's arch enemy at the end of the series. Mm-hmm. But he, what a nice guy. And uh, we did uh, convention appearances together. We had dinner several times. We actually, we recorded the audio for the Killogy animated short in his kitchen uh on my laptop and it was so much fun and every time he cursed he apologized to his wife it was it was hilarious yeah that's and awesome, when, so man. once yeah once he got on board for Killogy, then uh marky ramon came on board and Bria grant and then the series came out it was a four-part series and then that following halloween we put out a Halloween special where Doyle from the Misfits joined the crew. Nice. And it's just been a lot of fun. And Doyle actually is in the animated series too. Nice, dude. And that's KillogyAnimated.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. So guys, definitely check that out, but also check out the novel. So we mentioned a lot is going on. Crawl to Me feature film is is still, it's looking really good. Script is awesome. The Killogy Animated series is out there. Guys, check that out. The one project that I wanted to see if we can get an update on I read about mm-hmm. a while back was one called the Shunned One. Is that was that released? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a, a teaser was released okay. at, at the in the back of the Killogy Halloween special. There was a little teaser for the Shunned One. It was about half an issue, um, just to kind of introduce it. And I had written it out as another graphic novel, but very early on. Um, we had interest to develop that as a motion picture. It just takes a very long time to get these things going. But a script was written, and we actually do have a director uh, working on revising that script now. It just takes a long time for these things to happen. But I kind of wanted to wait to release the comic book series until the movie was done so that the characters actually look like the actors. Mm, okay. So I'm, I'm kind of in a holding pattern on that. So... The Beauty of Horror Coloring Series has been such a success that I've just been uh, working on different types of products for that. And there's going to, in 2019, there's going to be a whole bunch of really cool Beauty of Horror products outside of the coloring book. Let's go, let's talk about Life of Agony for just a little bit. Now, one thing, during the rise of Life of Agony in Brooklyn, there was such a a bunch of bands that mattered to me as, as in the youth. Like, there's just such a scene. And uh, it was like in the late 80s, early 90s. when. Uh, but one thing I did notice is that Roadrunner Records somehow came in and swept up all you guys. Typo, Biohazard, Life of Agony, all you guys. How did that happen? We started in 1989, and we had always recorded demos at Josh Silver from Typo Negative hmm. at his house, at his home studio. The Sty in the and, Sky? Uh, what was it called? Yeah, Sty, Sty in the Sky. Sty in the Sky. Which yeah. is basically his mom's old bedroom they converted into a studio and if you if you listen to some of the early demos you could actually hear his two dogs barking in the background um so it was it was diy 
you know, from the very beginning. But we did a bunch of uh, demos with him, and we also had the same manager as Typo Negative. So there was that connection. We all lived in the same neighborhood. We jammed at the same rehearsal studios. Uh, the Biohazard guys, I lived directly across the street from Evan Seinfeld growing up. Um, he literally babysat me. He's a couple of years older than me, and our families were close, and that's who watched me after school. So that's how long we go back. It, it was uh, kind of like a, a very tight-knit little scene between the three bands. Mm -hmm. um, I think Evan actually roadied for Carnivore back in the day for Pete. So everybody knew each other, and everyone was kind of um, working together in some different ways. Joey roadied for Biohazard. I drew uh, T-shirts for them and things like that. So, I mean, going back, a lot, a lot of years. It's been so much fun because we just got off the road in Europe with uh, with Billy's new project, mm -hmm. Billy from Biohazard, and he's been opening up for the Life Agony shows with his new band, and we've been bringing him on stage every night to play Punishment. So we we really came full circle, and having Billy out with us is just like family. So it's it really is one of the most fun tours we ever did. Nice, man. No, and I did see a video of, of you guys doing Punishment with Billy. Billy Billy Bio, his new record is out. I want to say it's coming out very soon, but it's like this week. Uh, November 30th. November 30th. Perfect. All right. So yep. Billy, Billy Bio's new CD, November 30th. I've heard it. I love it. I'm a huge fan of Biohazard. So if you like Biohazard, you definitely want to check that out as well. In fact, um, Billy's um, going to be playing the two shows we're doing with Sick of It All in December. Oh, we're nice. playing um we in all these years now you know you mentioned typo and biohazard but cigarette all came out um their first record was 89 and um you know in all these years it's like 30 years we have never played with cigarette all so we decided that needs to stop and um we decided to co-headline two shows with them in the area so we're playing the paramount in long island on december 14th and the Stone Pony in Asbury Park on the very next day, December 15th. And Billy's new band is going to open both shows. Now, so in that scene, though, like in every scene, there's always a figure that seems to have an aura or like this artistic thing. Who do you think, from all the great bands in the Brooklyn area at that time, do you feel was the most original and important voice for that scene? Oh, without a doubt, Peter Steele mm, yeah. influenced all the bands. Uh, he was... You know, musical genius, way ahead of his time. I always say without Carnivore, Life Agony would never even exist because, you know, they inspired Biohazard. Pete eventually did Typo Negative. Um, and it, that whole scene influenced us so much. Um, I think one of the very first concerts I ever saw was Biohazard at Lamore's when I was like 17, 16, 17. And, um, and so it, it really, it goes back to Pete, I think. Uh, all these bands were influenced by him. He was such a nice guy, so warm, uh, this, you know, giant of a man with a, a big heart. And uh, he always treated everybody with respect. And, you know, as you know, Life Agony got to tour with Type of Negative a bunch of times in the 90s in their prime. And it was just nothing like it. And, and Joey actually uh, played guitar in, in one of the uh, versions of Carnivore that he did along the way so we were definitely very close and he was it was a huge loss oh, um irreplaceable when he passed. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, he's every every time uh, every generation that uh, I I talk to that learns about Peter Steele, like his memory and his aura, it's it's similar to like a Dimebag Daryl. You know, it's it's like people yeah. are just like, wow, this is this is something we've never heard or seen. And for you to have all those memories and all those times, I think is is fantastic. But like we we're talking about, Life of Agony right now is very active again. You know, the latest record, A Place Where There's No More Pain, which is out now, was really well received. How confident are you that the band is in full swing again? Well, this year has been incredible. I mean, this whole Rise of the Underground tour that we've done since April has just been some of the best shows we've ever done, the most fun we've had in such a long time. We've been playing longer sets, songs we haven't done in decades. We just, you know, I think we started to listen to the fans more. You know, I think we came into this new year with a new attitude and we started seeing like fans poll uh, on Facebook, like what's their favorite songs from each record. And we started looking at these lists and we were like, wow, we're not playing half of these songs. We should put them back in the set. And we started doing that. And it's made such a huge difference. Um, and just playing obscure songs, deep, deep cuts off of the older albums. Um, playing longer, you know, trying new things, playing, you know, a biohazard song when Billy's around, you know, things like that. It really makes a difference uh, and creates this whole different energy. Um, we even, you know, in the States, we brought out Kenny and Johnny from Typo's new band, Silvertoon. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, it's just cool for us to, you know, have friends along with us and, and kind of reminisce about the good times we had and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of creating a family environment on the road. And that's exactly what it is for, like, a fan like me. I've always seen those three bands tied as a family, as, like, camaraderie, you know, just because yeah. of the same scene. The reason I got into Life of Agony was because of Biohazard and Typo Negative. Oh, really? And cool. Carnivore. Yeah, it was all like, oh, these guys are all from the same area? Let me check it out. That's what. That's how it was back in the day, you know? And yeah. uh, so I've never really separated it, you know, too much in my mind. Obviously, the bands are all completely different, which makes the scene even better. Um, right. But that's true, because I, I saw a set list. You guys were playing a couple songs off, like, Soul Searching Sun, which I, I revisited just just this, uh, like, two hours ago. And I'm like, man, I'm glad you guys are pulling some of those songs out. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. for yeah, even, even a song like Damned If I Do, off mm -hmm. of Ugly, yeah. we haven't played that probably since the record. And that's been such a big hit. Uh, live these days and it's just something we threw in the set like two weeks ago and it's just uh, we're constantly just trying to keep it fresh you know and learn old songs learn new songs we haven't played live just try new things and, and put the effort in and, and really make this show special any talks I know the album's still new you guys are in the same cycle but is there any talks about uh, more touring after the Sick of It All shows or falling up the record in any any time soon well actually we um we just re-signed with Napalm Records to put out another album next year. And we start recording that after New Year's. We have half the record written already, and we're still working on a bunch of ideas that will take us through December and January. And um, we're excited to get back in the studio. We actually lined up a producer who we'll be announcing soon. Once again, try new things and, and, and take this energy and momentum from this great year of touring and like put it into the new material it, so far it's sick 
Excellent, man. So hopefully I get an interview with, I'd like to talk to Joey Z because I talked to Mina, I talked to you. So I want to talk to all you guys as we go through. Oh, I'm sure he would love to do it. So yeah. uh, hopefully when that record cycle goes, I will request and see what happens. But uh, <laughs> You could count that. You can count I'm on sure that? He'd love to do it. Excellent, yeah. dude. So, But I want everybody to know the reason I'm talking is The Beauty of Horror, Ghosts of Christmas Coloring Book, guys, it's out now. Check out all four volumes. These are, to me, I'm going to use them as stocking stuffers this year because I think they're great <laughs> for my friends. Um, yeah. But, like, they're perfect gifts for, like, you know, you know the, the metalhead friends that will – because I'll tell you something, man. I actually did color the book with my lady, and it was, like, oh, okay. the best time ever. Just coloring as a 30-year-old something, you know, with, with oh, my you lady. you got to take a picture and post them. Oh. you got to see some of the – You're right. The, there, there's a Facebook page for it. Is there? Uh, on face, yeah, and um, the color work that people have submitted is just mind blowing. Like I can't color the pages that good, and I drew the book. It's just you got to check it out. Do you know the Facebook? Like just to search it because I want to look at this. I think it's just Facebook slash the Beauty of Horror. Okay, we got to check that out. I, I'm I am a social media. I like stay away from it like almost all the time. But I I am down. Oh, good to, for you. I am down. Yeah, I know, dude. It keeps me healthy and young. But. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, the stress would just go through the roof, but I do want to post a picture because I nailed one. Like I remember, oh, when, like definitely do that. It's on my Jake. fridge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, you know, part part of it too is with these coloring books is that they're not meant for kids. You know, they're no. very in, they're intricate and they're really gory. All all the books have pages that are not appropriate for kids. You know, there's like body parts and severed heads everywhere. So. It's not your typical adult coloring book, you know. It may relax you, but it's very different than all the nature books that are out there. Excellent. And I agree with that. And But I'm telling you, it, it definitely relaxes, even though you're painting, yeah, dismembered body parts. Right? <laughs> with the, with the, I, I was using colored pencils, but other people might use crayons. So. Um, yeah. so, guys, make sure you do pick up the Beauty of Horror series. Check out the new one, Ghosts of Christmas Coloring Book. Um, again, Santa, Oven, Gingerbread Man. You, that's that's the page that you want to get to. Check out the claymation. Oh, it's yes. The, I got to do that, beauty of horror, The Beauty of Horror Clay Massacre. Yeah, check that you out will, as well. It's on YouTube. You will, Yeah, you'll never be the same after it. <laughs> Excellent. So with that, guys, Alan Robert, I want to thank you so much, man, for calling in to the Metal Sucks podcast. Yeah, anytime. And before we play the songs, I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. During the holiday season, put some merch from Rockabilia on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift from someone and you know what rock bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with their selection and you can get 15% off with the promo code PCJabberJaw. Head over to Rockabilia.com for all your holiday merch and save 15% with the promo code PC Jabberjaw.
And we're back, guys. First song you heard is off the latest Life of Agony record, A Place Where There Is No More Pain. Fantastic record that came out last year. That is called Right This Wrong. Second song you heard is off Billy Bio. Billy from Biohazard. His uh, solo album, Feed the Fire, is out now. And that song is called Rise and Slay. And the last song we played for you guys is off the new record by Insight. The song is called Built to Destroy. The record is called Built to Destroy. And that is going to be out January 25th, guys, on Minus Head Records. So go ahead and pre-order that if you dug that song because we do over here on the show and with that guys uh, anything else you two anything anything jaws you've been out for two weeks <sighs> nothing just follow me man follow me on follow social media follow her on social media I, I got married all kinds oh, of stuff oh yeah Pete got married Pete congrats yeah. yeah and I want everybody to know that the person the aficionado that married me is the same person that married Brandon accident boom except That's, the guy that married me had an elvis costume on pete went all straight laced and boring yeah but it was the same dude and that's cool because we're best friends and we got married by the same dude who was in the golden girls and he told me that that's right probably crushed rue mcclanahan's beaver the metal sucks podcast <laughs> is signing off this is the jabberjaw podcast network <laughs>